Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, this weekend, we're finishing up our series entitled Burn the Ships. And we're talking about one of the most important ships that needs to burn on the earth, not just in our lives, all right? This is the weekend of Palm Sunday. And we're going to read through the story and we're going to go through a lot of scripture in this message, all right? So I want you to keep up with me. I'm going to ask you to turn to a bunch of spots. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 21. Then you can put a marker in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, we're going to be all over the map. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. Follow along in the notes, or you can just read them with me on the screen. The title of this message is a little bit serious, and this message is a lot of bit serious. The title of the message is this, The Scariest Disease on Earth. The Scariest Disease on Earth. I know in this time that we're navigating through right now that many of us are waking up and first thing in the morning we're checking the death toll we're looking at the number of people who have died over the last 24 hours and the overall number of people that this COVID-19 virus has killed and I know that is an extremely serious thing and I don't want to make light of that at all but in watching how the whole earth is handling this and really uniting in a way many of us haven't ever seen before to combat a common enemy. And what is the common enemy? Death. Death. Everybody is on the same page about dying. And and I think now is a really healthy time, especially considering that it's Palm Sunday that we talk about the scariest disease on earth. There is a disease on the earth that is far more dangerous than any virus we will ever see physically. It is the disease of spiritual blindness. Now, if I were to ask you, what are the four, not the most, but what are four of the more important words in the Bible, what would you say? How would you answer that question? You think through all the important words in scripture, what are four of the most important words? Well, I would say that Four of the most important words in the Bible are the first four words recorded in Scripture that God says. Let me read it to you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, three of my favorite words, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then God separated the light from the darkness. So we see God says the light is good, which means the darkness is not. Four of the most important words in the Bible. Let there be light. You see, the most dangerous thing on the earth is not the devil, but darkness. What is spiritual blindness? Well, scripture basically, in the most simple way I can describe it, scripture says that spiritual blindness is 
the inability to see God for who he really is, the inability to comprehend divine truth, scripture. Now, Matthew chapter 21 is the story of the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And here's what I've never noticed before until I was studying the triumphal entry this week, that the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is of course all about Jesus, but it is extremely serious about blindness. The story of Palm Sunday really has a lot to do with blindness, so much so I believe that what happens right before the triumphal entry involves blindness and what happens after the triumphal entry involves blindness. In my mind, pointing to make sure we see that blindness is a big part of what happens on Palm Sunday in Scripture. Now let's read it together. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 11 verses together. Jesus, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. Okay, this was the first century form of borrowing somebody's car, all right? And the donkey was not the Ferrari, all right? It was the Pinto. But this was, you will see, to fulfill a messianic prophecy. Verse three, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and Jesus sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them. Okay, so this is what they would do in that day and time when royalty would enter the city. They would lay their cloaks down before the king as the king entered their city, right? Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. He was the reason all this was going on. There was no debate about that. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the son of David. That's a messianic title right there, the son of David. They were acknowledging, here is the savior of the world, the Messiah, Yeshua. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, you may not at first glance see the blindness, but you're going to see it really quickly. I want to walk through three different types of spiritual blindness. And there are, there's one that's worse than the others, and it is point number one. So let's just jump right into it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one, the first type of, of spiritual blindness is unbelievers who are looking but don't want to see. Unbelievers who are looking but don't want to see. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read two verses together that really help us understand the how and why behind the spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. That's a serious verse. Satan, who is the lowercase g, God of this world, 
has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Okay, let's walk this out. I want you to see on Sunday, Palm Sunday, everybody on the street is shouting out, Jesus is king, he's Messiah. I mean, they're going bananas, acknowledging him as royalty. But within a couple of days, they do a complete 180 and they go from loving him to hating him. How in the world is that possible? Well, I'm going to show you, but I want to show you the extreme opposite side of Palm Sunday. John chapter 19, verse 14, we fast forward just a couple of days in Holy Week, says this. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. That's the 14th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. Kill him is what they're saying. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back then. Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Okay, how in the world in a four-day span of time does a group of people go from acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, not just the king, but the king of all kings, the savior of the world, and four days later, they are shouting, kill him. We have no king but Caesar. I'm going to show you there are two problems that are at the root of the darkest of spiritual blindnesses, all right? Here's problem number one. They don't want what they need. Those who are this blind spiritually don't want what they need. Now, to really understand how they got from he's the Messiah to kill him, the only king we have is Caesar, is really simple. They were hoping that Yeshua, Jesus, was their political liberator, In the same way that Moses was the liberator of the nation of Israel from their captor, the nation of Egypt, he did miracles. Yeshua, Jesus did miracles. And so the people saw those miracles and they were hoping, they knew of all of the messianic prophecies throughout scripture. And they were hoping and believing that Jesus was in fact Hamashiach, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. But when they saw Jesus allow himself to be arrested, they flipped. They realized he was not their political liberator. Here's what we all need to understand. Because they were wanting what they wanted. They were not focused on what they needed. Here's what we all need to remember. Jesus did not come to give you what you want. To do what you want. Jesus came to do what you need. What I need. You you may be someone who's not a believer in Jesus yet. And you you say, hey, uh, I I just need a few things to happen, God, before I give my life to you. You're on the fence, but you just feel a couple of things need to happen before you do that. Listen, let me just tell you, especially in this day and time, that's not good. All right. Jesus didn't come to give you a perfect life. Jesus came to give you eternal life. If you're waiting for him to give you a perfect life before you accept eternal life from him, you're not going to get it 
because there's no such thing in a fallen world as a perfect life. And when we, we navigate dark and difficult times like the, one, the ones in which we live, we're reminded there's no such thing as a perfect life. Jesus didn't come to give a perfect life. He came to give us eternal life. The people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna on Palm Sunday, which means save us now. What they wanted was Jesus to save them right then. But Jesus didn't come to save now. Jesus came to save forever. They wanted what they wanted. And when Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, they turned their backs on him. They wanted Jesus to conquer a nation, Rome. Jesus did not come to conquer a nation. Jesus came to conquer death and give life to all nations. But see, they were so fixated on what they wanted that they forgot the real reason Jesus came was to do what was needed. Here's the second problem that's at the core of this darkest of spiritual blindnesses. Problem number two, they love darkness more than the light. Those who are this blind spiritually love darkness more than light. One of the scariest truths is this, that those who do not come to Christ don't do so because they lack light. They do so because they love darkness. Here's another way to say it. Most who love darkness do so not because darkness is awesome, but because darkness conceals what they don't want to be seen. I've learned this navigating life with unbelievers, that it's not that they actually love darkness. It's that they're so ashamed of some of the things they've done in their past that they don't want to step into the light because they're afraid the light will just expose all of the things they're so ashamed of that darkness will hide. But here's the reality. They simply don't understand that Jesus came to do something about that which they're so ashamed of. And all they have to do is step into the light and receive the light of Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you in scripture. John chapter three, verse 19. God's light came into the world. But people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For fear their sins will be exposed. You see, you have a lot of people around you living in darkness, not because they're bad. It's not because they're bad. Oftentimes, it's because they're so ashamed of some things they've done in their past, mistakes, sin, that they're afraid the light will expose what they're so ashamed of. Jesus came to do something about this problem. Think about this. I've never met anybody who walks around going, darkness is awesome. Darkness is incredible. Okay, and anyone who would say that, I would test their little theory. By, by asking them to do this. Let's all do it, okay? Let's close our eyes for the rest of the day. Don't peek, come on. Keep your eyes closed. Let's just close our eyes for the rest of the day. You gotta go to the grocery store. I want you to close your eyes the whole way there. Okay, open your eyes. You know I'm not being serious. I'm being sarcastic. 
if darkness were awesome, we would live every moment of our lives with our eyes closed. But darkness isn't awesome. Darkness is dangerous. Think about it. Why don't you close your eyes when you drive? Because darkness is dangerous. Why does your car have headlights? Because darkness is dangerous. Spiritual blindness, this type of spiritual blindness, is the most dangerous disease on planet Earth. But I've got really good news. Those who are sick with this sickness don't have to stay that way. That brings us to point number two. Write this down. Believers with blind spots. The second type of spiritual darkness is believers with blind spots. Now, if you've got a Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 10. Okay? I want you to read this in your Bible, and I'll set it up while you're turning there. This is the, what Mark records in his gospel as the last encounter Jesus has before the triumphal entry. And it involves a blind man who was a believer in Yeshua, you'll see that, who, who had been blind for some time. And, and Jesus, Yeshua, walks down the street where Bartimaeus is and blind Bartimaeus, as he's often referred to as, blind Bartimaeus shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone tries to quiet him down. The crowd's loud. He does it again. And, and it, it appears in scripture that it, it was a blood curdling scream. It got everybody's attention. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 10, verse 49. What happens next? When Jesus heard Bartimaeus do this, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. So clearly he was distressed. Come on. Jesus is calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Hit the pause button there. That is an unbelievable question right there. Incidentally, I've been asked multiple times by different people, hey, why did you guys create an app about questions? I mean, it's a simple app that gives people questions to ask people they love. Why? The answer is simple. Because one of the most powerful things Jesus did when he walked on the earth, fully God, fully man, was to ask questions. And he says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Bartimaeus being a blind beggar could have asked for food. The only food he ever got was when somebody felt sorry for him and gave some of their food. He doesn't ask for food. The only time Bartimaeus, he couldn't work because he was blind. The only time he got money is when people felt sorry for him and gave them, gave him some of theirs. Bartimaeus doesn't ask for money. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Listen to, to Bartimaeus' response. My rabbi, Rabboni. He was a believer in Yeshua. He calls Jesus, my rabbi, my teacher. The blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. Okay, we could talk about a lot of different blind spots that believers had. Remember, Bartimaeus was a believer but he was blind. And I'm going to use Bartimaeus as a, a scriptural example or representation of a believer 
with a blind spot. And we could talk about a lot of different blind spots that we as believers have, but here's what I would say. The most dangerous blind spot for believers is evangelism. The most dangerous blind spot for believers is evangelism. Now, remember, four of the most important words in the Bible, let there be light, right? Okay, remember that. If you got your Bible, flip over to John chapter one, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. John chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse one. In the beginning, the word, capital W, Okay, this is speaking of Jesus, and you're going you're gonna to see this quickly. The Word already existed. The Word, capital W, was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, clearly talking about Jesus here. Jesus, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through Jesus. The Word, capital W, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That is some good news right there. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Here's what you need to know. And if you're taking notes, I need you to write this down. Jesus was, is, and always will be the light of the world, period, point blank. No matter how dark things get, on this earth, Jesus will always be the light of the world. He was, he is, he always will be the light of the world. Now, I want to read you what may seem like a bit of a shocking verse of scripture. It's Jesus talking. John chapter nine, verse five. Jesus says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Interestingly enough, Jesus said this while he was healing a blind man. There's a lot of scripture about blindness, light, and Jesus. All right? Jesus said this while he was healing a blind man. When Jesus was on the earth in human form, fully God, fully man, his life was the primary method of light transmission. This is what Jesus is saying. All right, we need to understand that. Yes, Jesus was, is, and always will be the light of the world. But the primary method of of light transmission while Jesus was on the earth was his life. Now, flip back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to see this in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts, speaking to believers in Jesus. God has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what we need to understand. This is our primary task as followers of Jesus, to be his primary method of transmitting his light on the earth. Okay, but there's another word for it, evangelism. That's another way to say it evangelism. But here's, here's what I hear all the time. The number one excuse for not evangelizing is this. I'm just not smart enough. I don't know it because I don't know enough Bible. I'm just not smart enough. If that's you, I want you to just circle this next one-liner in your notes. 
You don't have to have a doctorate in theology to lead someone to Christ. You just have to have in you the light of Christ. Keep reading in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We now have this light as believers shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. The apostle Paul is saying this. The, the, the hero theologically. And he is saying, we have this light in our hearts, but we ourselves, all of us, are like fragile clay jars. We're nothing special other than we contain this great treasure. This makes it clear to everyone that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Okay, what does this light look like? Here's the answer. A life which shows what Christ is like. A life which shows what Christ is like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, speaking to believers, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, especially not in dark times when light is necessary. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Okay, this is our calling. This is our primary task as followers of Jesus, to be the light, to be the primary method of light transmission on the earth. Now, let me connect this to John chapter 9, verse 4. Jesus says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. Okay, remember, Jesus sent us all out as his followers, as disciples, to go to the ends of the earth, preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's our primary task. Jesus says we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. Why? Because the night is coming and then no one can work. This brings us to point number three. The third type of spiritual blindness is this, unbelievers who seek to see. Unbelievers who seek to see. Now, if you've got your Bible, go back to Matthew chapter 21, all right? And we're going to pick up in verse 12. So we read verses 1 through 11. I know there's a lot of Bible, but listen, uh, you don't need my word. You don't need my opinion. We need God's word. Amen? We, we need God's word. So there's a ton of God's word in this message because we need it now more than ever, and we've always needed it. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. This is the day after the triumphal entry. So Mark says the night of the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, Jesus went to the temple, nothing was going on. So he went away with his disciples, then came back the next day. Verse 12 of Matthew 21 tells us what happens next. Jesus enters the temple and begins to drive out all of the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Okay, take the scripture off the screen for a second and let's just understand what's happening. This is called the cleansing of the temple. Jesus, the day after the triumphal entry, and here, here's what's wild. Jesus comes in to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So it was during these days that the Jewish people were cleaning out their homes of the leaven, all right? So Jesus goes into the temple, his father's house, 
to clean house. This is called the cleansing of the temple. He goes in and rather than seeing a bunch of spiritual moments and and behaviors, he sees a bunch of financial transactions. And Jesus literally flips, literally. He flips the table of the money changers and, and he goes off, okay? He cleanses the temple. He kicks out the impurity that's going down in the temple. And what is the next thing that Jesus does next? Matthew records it in verse 14. And this is huge. And many of us just read right past this important verse. Verse 14 of Matthew 21, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and Jesus healed them. (laughs) This is huge. I can't even, I'm not even qualified enough to describe just how huge this is theologically. You have to actually go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 21. And in Leviticus 21, God is giving Moses instructions to give to Aaron, who is to run the priestly ministry in the temple. And so God says to Moses the following, Leviticus 21, verse 17, give the following instructions to Aaron and all future generations. None of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed. Doesn't that describe all of us before Jesus? It sure describes me. And if you don't know Jesus and you feel pretty nasty and ugly and beat down, lame, disfigured, deformed, that's the spiritual condition of all of us before Jesus. And and here's what's so crazy. The the Pharisees see this go down and the Bible says they become infuriated. Why? First, Jesus cleanses the temple. He purifies the temple by kicking out the unclean practices that were taking place. And the next thing Jesus does from the minds of the Pharisees is actually defy the temple by bringing in unclean things. See, When God says to Moses, listen, no one who is blind or lame or disfigured or deformed can serve as a priest in my house. Essentially, this is what God is saying. Any man of defect may not approach, may not serve. This is huge to understand. It wasn't because they were bad. It was because they were unclean. And so to bring uncleanness into the temple, it would defile the temple would be defiled. So God says, don't bring the unclean into the presence of the clean, God being clean, all right? Look at what Jesus is doing. He cleanses the temple and then he defiles the temple by bringing in the lame and the blind, the unclean. And here's what Jesus is communicating to every one of us. But especially if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I want you to understand this is for you. Jesus comes on the scene, goes into the temple, cleanses the temple and then defiles it saying this. The old way was that the unclean was separated from the clean God. But now I have come to unite the unclean with the clean. Jesus came to unite you with the father, no matter how unclean you feel. It's brilliant what Jesus does. The people who had been kept out We're now welcomed in because of Jesus. The most simple way I can say it scripturally is just to read scripture. John 8 verse 12. 
If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, this verse is for you. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness anymore because you will have the light that leads to life. No matter how dark your world is right now, And if you don't know Jesus personally, I'm telling you, it's a lot lot darker than you even understand. And it's not because you're bad. It's because the lowercase g, God of this world, is blinding as many as possible, causing them to live in utter darkness. Jesus came to do something about your darkness. He came to connect you to the Father. Let's go back to Matthew 21, Palm Sunday. And let's remind ourselves what was the reason Jesus had come into the city, Jerusalem, to do? To celebrate Passover. And I don't have the time to really walk through all of this, but I just want you to catch some of the sweet intentionality of the Savior of the world. And you have to go all the way back to the Passover. The nation of Israel is captive in Egypt. Nine plagues have just covered the land, and they were bad. And they just kept getting worse. And the tenth plague was the plague of death. But God made a way for the nation of Israel to escape death. For his people to escape death. And the way was on the 10th of Nisan. God said, I want you to take a spotless lamb from your flock. I want you to bring it into your home till the 14th of Nisan. And then I want you to sacrifice this lamb. And I want you to apply the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home. And God said, anywhere the blood of the lamb is found, death will pass by. Here's what's so beautiful about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the 10th of Nisan. Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day. And you know what that day is called? The day of selection. It was the day they were to select which lamb would die so that they could live. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, shows up on the 10th of Nisan in Jerusalem. And he's saying to all of the people, select me. John the Baptist said it brilliantly when Jesus showed up. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Jesus shows up in Jerusalem on the day of selection. And he says to everyone there, and he's saying to you right now, if you don't know Jesus personally, and this is going to sound harsh, but the scariest disease on the earth, spiritual blindness, leads to eternal separation from God. And the only way to escape that eternal death is to select 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the whole earth. And if you don't know Jesus and you're watching this, I don't need to beg you. I just need to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die for you. You just have to select him as the lamb who dies in your place. None of us have to die blind because Jesus is the light of the world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I know this was a a bit of a strong message, but it's just so important. And it's just, it's incredible to me that as we're navigating this season where death is everywhere, that we'd be celebrating Palm Sunday, which kicks off the most important week in all of human history, the Holy Week. And Palm Sunday, the day of selection, is the day the Lamb was chosen to die so that we might live. And I just want to do something right now. If you're watching this, I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're with a group of people, don't be looking around. And you'd say, Preston, I'm living in darkness, man. (laughs) It's dark and it's only getting darker. You may be watching this well after the fact and it's weeks beyond Palm Sunday, but things have gotten even darker on the earth. And, and you're saying, I, I, it, my world is dark. I, I want light. If that's you, and you're saying, I want Jesus, I want the light of the world to come into my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to do something really awesome. I just want you to put your hand up. Come on, just put it up. Wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, just put your hand up. I am done with darkness. I want the light of the world. It doesn't matter how dark your darkness was. Jesus came to light it up. Come on, just put your hand up. Keep it up. Keep it up. You'd say, Preston, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm done with the darkness. Come on. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. I want you to pray a very simple prayer after me. That's going to change the rest of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. And I want you to do it out loud. I know that you may be with some friends that may not know Jesus. I want you to be brave. You never know. They might be feeling the same thing you're feeling right now, but they're too afraid to to do it out loud. I want you to repeat this prayer after me out loud. Be bold about your desire to go after Jesus. All right? Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I am done with darkness. I want the light of the world. Jesus, I acknowledge you are that light. I acknowledge you're the son of God. The lamb who takes away my sins. Jesus, I acknowledge I've sinned. And I need your blood to cover all my sin. Jesus, I believe that God raised you from the grave. Three days after you died, you conquered death. You are Lord of all. 
And today, I make you my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. That is the biggest prayer you will ever pray in your life. And if you just prayed that prayer, whether you're watching this live on a certain platform, whether you're watching this weeks after it went live, but let me just ask you to do something. Would you do me a favor? Just text Jesus. Text the name Jesus to the number 24587. 24587. We'd love to help you, give you some resources, and, and get you on a path to really start walking with Jesus every day of your life. All right? So please just reach out, send the text, the, the name Jesus to 24587, and then we'll do the rest. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.